extremely important for us to be honest with each other and to look at where we are. So I want to ask a question that may be a little uh, difficult to answer, but I want to ask the members of Homewood, how do you think we are doing at discipling others as a congregation? You've seen all these videos, you've heard these discussions, you've heard these points. If we take a hard look at ourselves, how are we doing? Not near what we're good to be doing. Everybody, all those who think we're doing a good job, raise your hand. All those who think we're doing a medium job, raise your hand. And all those who think we're doing a poor job, raise your hand. I think it's uh, sobering, but honest. Because if we're not able to look at where we are, it's going to be impossible for us to figure out where mm -hmm. we go. So what we want to do as we wrap up this conversation today is to have us ask these guys questions, have you asked them questions, because this is always, if it's going to be successful, going to be a two-way conversation. So what I want to do is start with some of the opportunities that we have as a church to go forward. And one area that I wanted to ask about, and, and Eric, you touched upon this a little mm -hmm. bit, and Todd, you are well-versed on this, but the concept of discipleship circles or discipleship cohorts, can you guys talk a little bit about that and what that looks like within the context of congregation? Mm -hmm. um, so, all right. From my experience, there are a bazillion ways of mm -hmm. doing discipleship, and virtually, not maybe not everyone, but nearly everyone is better than not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. um, but when Mission Alive started trying to figure out how to do discipleship groups, we did it because we looked around and none of our church planters were doing discipleship in the churches, and we discovered it's because none of them had been discipled. Mm -hmm. So um, a discipleship cohort in Mission Alive terms is a group of people that meets weekly. There's three levels. Uh, the, the bottom level is 16, 17 weeks. Um, and it is comprised of three basic practices, listening to God in scripture, listening to God in prayer, and listening to God on mission. That means out there. That sound familiar based on what I said a minute mm -hmm. ago, right? That's what we do. And we teach our church planners to do that. And we teach them to teach other people to do that. And so that's what it looks like in our terms. Mm -hmm. and, and the same thing for me. Um, I uh, have just been the uh, uh, lead minister at University Church for the last three years. And one of the things that I committed myself to do is no longer get up in the pulpit and say, what y'all need to do is, <laughs> right? My responsibility is to say, which I'll need to, no, it, 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 it is, hey, let me paint a picture of what spiritual formation looks like and let me invite you into those experiences. And so uh, my first year I, I did a, a discipleship circle and I'll, every year I'll do another one. And every, every other year I'll do one and on the other years 
I do uh, a meditation class because I want people to understand contemplation and I want people to understand uh, uh, fruit bearing. And um, I'm building out along with my congregation um, opportunities to do discipleship and opportunities to do those other um, spiritual formation disciplines and practices. Uh, this year I used um, what you shared, you know, bringing awareness um, in, uh, in, the, in the word in your life and in missions with uh, three or four other, uh, other people and I just reached out to them and we found a time that we would meet every, every week, right? And it's just a, a level of intentionality and it's like the three of us, the four of us, we're gonna meet Tuesdays at and 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 commit to it and commit to it. Like I said, I, I, I was planning on doing it a half semester. It ended up uh, being more than uh, a semester and a, and a half until the uh, they wanted to replicate. Um, so those in some ways it, it's it's that I've, I've used, um, as I said, the core teachings of Jesus. I've also used uh, 3DM's um, uh, Life Shapes um, previously, and it's just all of these different tools in order to figure out what is a viable and reproducible way of doing discipleship. Man, I wonder if you can kind of talk a little bit about the fact that you are so versed in, in what this looks like from the uh, African perspective and the, and the, and the non-Western world perspective, what do you see as the biggest obstacles to the Western church adopting this kind of discipleship model? Yeah, I think the biggest barrier is um, being fixated on all these things happening <laughs> in our place mm -hmm. instead of out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think I mentioned this, the people who need to be reached are not necessarily going to come into the the church building. Mm -hmm. So um, being able to empower people, I think the discovery Bible study method that I that I shared, it can be used within a context of congregational discipleship, but it's at its best when it's being used with people who are just being introduced to who mm -hmm. Jesus is, and it gives you an opportunity to never have the disconnect between churchgoer and yeah. disciple. Because I think ideally, we disciple people to conversion instead of traditionally we convert them and then we do discipleship after. Mm -hmm. If it can be integrated from the beginning, it's a much more powerful tool. Mm -hmm. It's something really powerful of giving up home field advantage. <laughs> something very powerful about giving up home field advantage. Um, uh, uh, Paul, uh, did it going to the Gentiles? Jesus did it incarnating amongst humans. Uh, we can do it by what what Matt is suggesting. It's like give up home field advantage. Don't tell them to come to where you are. You go where they are and and sit in their spaces. It was funny. I was um, uh, finishing up my sermon uh, yesterday in the airport. Um, and you were preaching in the airport? Huh? No, I was okay, finishing. I just said. Oh uh, yeah, I, I was finishing up my sermon. Thank, thank you. I was finishing writing up my sermon. Um, because that's reaching people out where they are. Exactly, it really is. And another thing, <laughs> and it was a family that came to sit at the table, and they were apologizing because their kids were loud. And I was like, no, this is wonderful because this is informing what I'm preaching about. 
because uh, I'm occupying a space different than my office, right? And um, to give up home field advantage is, is to be able to learn from their context. And isn't that what Jesus did? And like, oh, look at the, look at the mustard seed. Look, look at, you know, look at this and, and observe that. It was, it was to be in that space and whatever is in their space to utilize that for their growth. I, you must have questions, guys. So please, uh, what questions do you guys have? Uh, I got a thought. Um, you know, Matt, you've mentioned before, a lot of times we don't have an opportunity to minister to people because we work at so hard at separating ourselves from being in situations where, you know, might be unsafe or whatever. How did you work that out? Yeah, just we, we try to keep ourselves comfortable. We avoid, yeah. we build, you know, build our highways over the bad parts of town. Mm -hmm. and, with people in their space where we have two possible directions and neither of them are right or wrong. I think one might be more fruitful. Like as we're connecting with immigrants in this community, what's the end goal there? One end goal could be that through serving and loving them, they come and they become members of Homewood. And that would be good. What if we had a different vision of helping the gospel be planted within their network of other immigrants and they they have a relationship with home movement instead of their end destination being members in this building the end being how do we start a community of obedient disciples mm -hmm. in their context sometimes when we extract them we change them enough that they're no longer effective right. in their their home context or in their natural context and it really depends on what your measurables are, right? If your measure, measurables are, I got to pack the auditorium on a Sunday morning, I ain't never doing that. Right. But if my measurable is how does the kingdom break out in places other than here, I got to do that, right? Yeah, great, great thing. So, so, I, so I love the thing, right? It's, it's the ministry, the field. We go out into the field and we do the ministry there. This is not the ministry per se. This is the refueling station mm. where we come to get filled mm -hmm. in a corporate manner mm -hmm. and we rejoice with one another not to come to check these five boxes. Right. Right? But we come to encourage one another, lift one another up, but then we go out. Mm. Man, That's I would love if I would have to change our worship structure because we had to give more reports about what God is doing in the world than me trying to convince them to do something in the world. Yeah. 
right? Like, we only come back to like rest up and like, what happened to you? Oh, it was this, it was this, it was this. Can we celebrate that? Yeah, let's sing. Hey, now, what about you? What did you do when you went out there? And, and, and if that, that, that person <coughs> that's committed their life to Christ does come, we want them to, to, to hear their testimony. Uh, more so than me trying to wheedle a testimony out of Christians that are really very comfortable in um, in what they're doing. There is a um, there's an old axiom that says we value what we measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? We value what we if we're if we're going to put energy and effort into measuring something, that's because we value it. So just look around and see what it is that people, what measures people care about. That's their value system. If you want to value the people out there, change what you measure, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it makes me think of one of my most often shared stories about my time at Homewood. And for those of you that were here when I was here, let me go ahead and apologize. <laughs> Some of you may remember that we had started a ministry called the Birmingham Outreach Ministry. And it, it got started because we were going to an old kind of reclaimed hotel over, I don't even remember where it was, that had been renovated to um, help uh, women and their children who were coming off of crack addiction. Hmm. And um, they got to stay there once they had been cleaned from crack for a certain amount of time. And we would go over on Saturdays and play games with the kids and feed them lunch and talk to them and all that. And then on Sunday mornings in this room, we had a Bible study. And so it was a mix because most of them didn't have the transportation to get here. So we, but we had a couple of them in here, but then also this Birmingham Outreach Ministry um, we had a Thursday night Bible study, and there we tended to have more rich or richer, more wealthy white alcoholics. Mm. You couldn't be in the ministry if you hadn't been clean for, I don't remember what it was, six months or something. Anyway, so it was an interesting mix in both the Bible class and the Bible study. We had these two groups of people, and it didn't take but six months, and the members of the group start reaching some of their friends and talking to people, and it starts kind of clicking along. There was one guy that would come to the Thursday night gathering and we kept trying to get him to come in there on Sunday morning. He's like, I can't do that, I can't do that. Finally, when he owned up to why he couldn't do it, he said, I'm still drinking, I gotta have a beer. He said, I gotta have a beer at least every couple of hours or I get the DTs. Mm. Mm. And we were like, all right, dude, we kind of pulled him aside. None of you guys heard this, that's why I'm confessing now. We said, I'll tell you what, if we put a beer in the car out in the parking lot, will you come with us? And then when you start getting the shakes, we'll take you out there, feed mm. a beer, and then we'll come back in and we'll keep worshiping God and we'll see if God will work mm. in your life. When I think about what I measure, I measure that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, as, as odd as that sounds, that was the most spiritually formative thing I think I ever did, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it was so counterintuitive, and yet it kept us in relationship with that guy and gave more people an opportunity 
to be. So if we're measuring something, mm. personally, I'd rather measure that. Right. Right. It had nothing to do with adding one more person in the seat in there. It had everything to do with being engaged in that guy's mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And finding a, a means to loving him well. Right. Yeah. Question and then question. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm just going to comment on what you said, Matt, about church buildings in Rwanda not being safe. And, you know, here, with so many religious scandals and so many things having gone wrong, both on large scales and individually for people, we, there's, all, there's already an awful lot of people who think that church buildings aren't safe. Mm -hmm. And those numbers are growing. Mm -hmm. So we have, haven't had a lot of murders in church, although that has happened mm -hmm. here in our community. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people who say the church is not a building not ever. Mm -hmm want to go in, and I think that's another reason we need to yeah. be more focused on being in the community. It's a stark reality to, to actually grab a hold of because the students that we're engaging in, people that we're engaging that really need Christ, I hear that several times, not, you know, tons of times, but I've, I've heard that enough to say, no, I really need to think about, is church a safe place based on people's perceptions? Question? Yeah, I had a Comment. question my, primarily for you and Todd. In, in terms of your uh, your matrix that you had and, and the, the apathy corner, do you have any examples of where uh, discipleship has worked, basically, I would call it internally, to address the, the apathy? Because that's the route out, you know, that frankly we see our children taking and becoming agnostic and on and on. Um, you know, so are there any examples of where this has worked, say, for lack of a better term, within the walls first before you go um, outside the walls? Absolutely. In fact, I would say starting some kind of a discipleship, an intentionally reproducing discipleship process where we are intentionally looking for the action of the Lord that's what gets people out of that place of apathy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we sit in that place of apathy because nothing's happening. There's nothing that yeah. is calling me higher. There's nothing that I'm, nothing that's going on is particularly of interest, right? It's when we position ourselves to see God differently and to do something with it, all of a sudden our faith life starts popping in a way it didn't. So virtually everybody that has taken what we've done and gone and reproduced it somewhere, when I hear back from them, I hear that story. Mm -hmm. I hear the story of the people in their church. I got a guy right now, he's actually, so I don't know if we've even said it, Eric is on my board of directors. Mm -hmm. So one of the other guys on my board of directors, pastors a church in, in uh, Virginia. He tells me that story all the time mm -hmm. of members of his church that for five years have resisted getting into a discipleship cohort with them and they're also some of the most you know they just don't do anything and all of a sudden they get a wild hair and they get in a DC with them and, and they're all fired up right mm -hmm. he tells me this once every six months has for five years you know mm -hmm. yeah and I don't think now let me be really clear here that doesn't have anything to do with the particular structure or whatever of our discipleship cohorts I think that's what God does when people give right. him space right Right. They come alive. They really do. 
Um, and I'll say this, and, and this is something that uh, Todd warned me about years ago, and I, I think that is true, that to move from moment, places that make that uh, a quadrant of apathy and comfort, it's possible, it happens all the time. A lot of times people get resistant because comfort and, and apathy becomes their default and it just becomes their normal. And can we cast a robust enough vision for what a discipleship quadrant, what that be occupying that really feels like and looks like? And if you can cast the vision and they get little glimmers of it, it does perpetuate itself and, and help move people um, towards there. But it's not uh, easy all the time. But it's possible. Do you mind if I jump in, guys? Please do. Um, the, and just a, a word about discipleship cohorts. I know you've heard that phrase, and Todd explained it very well. Um, I have personally just walked through a discipleship cohort for the past 16 weeks with Todd. Uh, Willie's been through one as well. Uh, Chris Richardson on staff has been through a discipleship cohort, too. Um, and I can tell you, as, you know, as uh, quote unquote, you know, paid minister. Uh, you know, there were there are areas in my life that just continue to need need to be discipled. Um, one of the things that I think we have to be careful of, uh, because I've fallen into the trap before, is is saying, well, if if we can just become like KC Underground, or if we can just become like the things that are happening in Rwanda. Uh, if we can just become like Church of the High, you know, like we say these things, like we, mm-hmm. and instead of asking the question, okay, what, what does it look like to be yes. a better disciple of yes. Jesus yes. in yep. this context yes. at, at Homewood and, and beyond, you know, what does that look like? So uh, I would just want to take an example, Matt, um, as it relates to, I mean, you know, we are familiar with small groups. We're familiar with connect groups, as we call them here. Um, what what do you see are some of the strengths of a small group, and, and what do you see are uh, as it relates to this topic, discipleship, and what are some of the uh, growth areas uh, that small groups need to consider? Uh, talking to some small group leaders that are in the room today. I mentioned that um, the command of what we should do in church that we don't do. You know, in, in sharing with one another, I think small groups are an intuitive move to a space where those kinds of things can happen. So I think the small group structure is an incredible opportunity to inject some of the things that we're talking about. What they often become is just like a re, re-discussion of the sermon and, and social time. But Usually a fairly decent sermon. Yeah, yeah, which again is, we're talking about good good to maybe better. But I, I would think since that is something that people have made space for in their life already, that's a great place to inject some of these more intentional processes of discipleship. Yeah, yeah and I, I hope we you know, think about that some as well. Um, and certainly if any other questions, please ask. But uh, Eric, just in your context at Pepperdine, uh, one of the things that we haven't necessarily uh, brought up, or maybe I missed it today, was 
um, how do we intentionally look to the next generation? Yeah. Uh, there's nobody in this room, I don't think, that's under the age of 18. Yeah. Uh, maybe getting close over here. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, William, you don't qualify. Um, you know, so when we yeah. think about uh, in our current context, our student ministry, our children's, you know, like how are we engaging the next generation um, in this conversation? I believe that we have a generation of students that are hungry for depth and we are feeding them pablum that we are giving them infamil when they really are craving meat to the degree that in the eight years that i've been on pepperdine's campus I have had students come into my office and I remember it was a young lady, her freshman year came to my office and said, I need some accountability in my life. I was like, is this a trick? Because I made the assumption that that's what young people wanted, but that it would have to be coaxed and wheedled, right? She came with that and their students and you, you know, we, we have a wide ranging uh, um, spiritual formation experiences. Well, I'll say we have a wide, wide range of spiritual opportunities for students to participate in. And a lot of them are vibrant worship experiences. And students are drawn to that initially and eventually they come and say, I'm looking for something of depth. Now, unfortunately, I gotta understand what they mean by depth. Cause sometimes I'm like, oh, you want some depth? Let's get into a Bible study. And they were like, well, I ain't mean that. <laughs> you know, I mean depth, but not like depth, depth. Whereas I, I gotta actually, you know, but you get my point is that I think that we're making an assumption about them that they can't um, uh, deal with depth, but they want it. And um, for, for a number of reasons, and I praise God for it, I'm invited to do a lot of youth ministry rallies and things. And uh, early on, I, I, somebody suggested that I don't go with depth, that I go with rah-rah, you know, cheering and, and gimmicks and, and all of that. And I did it one time at his huge, it was like, it was easy, easily 5,000 or more students there and they liked it, but I didn't like myself afterwards because I felt like I was cheating them and treating them as if they weren't smart. So it, this was um, Winterfest. So Winterfest, they do one in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and then afterwards they do one in in Dallas and then so I, I did I did Gatlinburg and I did the song and dance there and then I went to, to uh, Arlington I think it was and I was like I'm not doing that I'm a flat foot talk about Jesus and that's when they came alive more so than that was a good sermon what I got afterwards was this is what's going on in my life and I was like, ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank, thank you, you taught me something. So I think that's kind of where I'm getting at. And, and, and discipleship, 
naturally leads to depth. Uh, it leads to accountability and it leads to this thing. And, and as you mentioned, how does this impact me on Tuesday, right? When I'm in a class and, and, and we, we wanna have that kind of questioning and discussion, uh, not just conceptual, but when it comes to your dating, what does this scripture call you to do? They wanna have that conversation. Uh, there's one important note I want to make today. Uh, if you have appreciated what we've done today, uh, one person who's been very important to this whole thing has been Kristen Cave, and I want to thank Kristen for all the help she gave today to make it look okay. and, and I'm going to ask Kristen to do one more thing before we get done. Uh, we've talked about a number of things here as potential opportunities, it, that either through the speakers today or through the video. We've talked about discipleship circles. We've talked about micro churches. We've talked about uh, uh, discovery Bible study. We've talked about the ongoing small group opportunities we have here at Homewood. And maybe some of those have pricked your heart about ways we can move forward. This is totally non-committable. Crystal will, turn to, will now pass out a clipboard which has an opportunity for you to write your name and email address on if you are interested in pursuing fellowship, discipleship opportunities here at Homewood. We don't know what they are yet, but we want to see who's interested. Mm -hmm. And if any of those things uh, have interested you or, or, or pricked your heart, uh, put it down there. Or if you have some other ideas that you think we might need, to, should pursue in the pursuit of discipleship, we like that as well. Again, you don't have to sign this. You don't have to put your name on it. If you want to pass it on to the next person, that's fine. But as Todd said earlier, we have a group here that obviously cares about this or you wouldn't have spent eight hours here today. So if this is something that's important to you, if this is something you think that we need to pursue and, and, and since apparently the majority of this room thinks we not, we're not doing a great job with discipleship at Homewood, uh, this is an opportunity for us to try to find ways to push this forward because as we said earlier today, we're not talking about starting a discipleship program here. We're not talking about doing some new thing. We're talking about pushing forward in our faith and pushing forward in our mission as children of God who want to disciple to other people. So this is not something we see as a six-month program or a two-year program. This is something that we want to be part of our culture here. So if you want to be part of that, let us know. And if you want to think about it a little bit, get, get back to us. So, but th there's that opportunity. Uh, a question I had, uh, in the, the three of you can probably answer this. We talk about spiritual formation in our lives. But in the world that we live in, where people are going from dawn to dusk without a time to think about what they're having for lunch sometimes, how do we find the time in our busy lives to develop those spiritual practices? One just real quick suggestion to, to free up some of that is take out the lunch. Do, choose a day out of the week to fast. If you're busy, fasting is one of the one of the most effective ways to create margin to spend time with God. So our family fasts once a week. We don't have dinner. So instead of dinner, we sit together. We have a prayer book that we've kept for 12 years or longer, 15 years. And we pray together. And it's not just about the not eating, it's that the whole evening is then free. There's no meal prep, there's no meal cleanup. So that's just a suggestion. 
That's a that's a great starting place um, because what you what, what you said is that that creates margin. And if we're talking about spiritual formation, there has to be margin in your life. That's sort of one of the first things that you gotta begin dealing with. And so whether it's fasting, whether it's Sabbathing, you gotta begin addressing it. Now, I think that there's some things that we can do and we can find some creative ways of trying to meet people incarnate in their busyness. And so uh, I'm kind of toying with doing a podcast, uh, not for anybody else, but my congregation. So it's a Bible study that they can listen to anytime and we provide questions for them. So then all of a sudden it's, I'm meeting them in their busyness or we as a, a church are meeting them in their busyness. Um, as opposed to saying you got to be here a Wednesday at seven o'clock all the time. Um, but that is a conciliatory gesture towards their busyness. I'm more interested in inviting them into different sacred rhythms of their life where they create that margin so that they can make sacred the time for a discipleship engagement four time of meditation, four times of solitude and silence, because without margin, there is no formation. Well, I take that back. That's a wrong statement. Forgive me. They'll be formed to something. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be formed to something. Yeah, they are formed, right? But they're, they're formed uh, the way busyness and the empire and totaliz the totalism desires to, to, to form them, which is as consumers that are divided and are numb. Mm -hmm. And the, to, to create sacred rhythms and sacred spaces, it, it counters that because Jesus is here and wants to resurrect somebody and, and make them come alive, right? It's uh, one of the areas that I found in going through the discipleship cohort and, 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 and trying to go on a spiritual journey, it's just the value of silence mm -hmm. and how impactful it can be. Can you talk a little bit about taking time for silence? Um, I was introduced to silence so I, not everybody here knows my story, but I was a missionary in West Africa and my wife was killed. I had an eight month old daughter. And then I found myself back in Oklahoma where um, our, our church was and our families were. And um, somebody in the church gave me a little apartment for me and my daughter. Um, and there was a queen size bed and a, um, and a cradle or whatever you call it, crib for my daughter. And I would put her down at seven o'clock at night and I would sit there. And this is for the first two or three or four months. And I would sit there. And of course, you guys can imagine, I was just weeping, but I was sitting there in silence. And I didn't realize in that moment that God was working in me. I mean, it's only really in retrospect that I recognized God was teaching me something about showing up in the silence. And um, it wasn't until about five years later when I took a class, a course on spiritual formation, 
and discovered some of the Christians have been practicing silence. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, you know, who'd have, who'd have thought, right? And um, so it has been a part of my personal practice, but I was introduced to it in this terrible, awful circumstance. About 12 years ago, I went and did a course on how to be a spiritual director. And part of that was uh, two 10-day residencies with a weekend in the middle of silence, from 5 p.m. Friday to 5 p.m. Sunday, silence. And that welcomed me back into it in a much mm -hmm. more um, life-giving way than, than the way I had first been introduced to it. So much so that now, uh, twice a year, I take a silent retreat because I've just, you know, like I'm kind of I'm kind of a thick-headed dude, and you kind of have to show me something over and over and over again. And finally, I think God showed me, like Todd, you've got to go mm -hmm. and shut up and listen, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. We do these discipleship cohorts and a big part of it is the silence. And I have been told by at least one or two people in every cohort for the last seven or eight years that the whole concept of silence scared them, just like it did me. And then at the end of the cohort, they're like, oh, wow. You know, what, what, a, what a powerful experience for my soul to just sit in silence with the Lord and let him do the work in the inner being. And can I prove anything to you? Absolutely not. You can think I'm an idiot and that's okay. I can't prove you otherwise. In fact, don't talk to my wife. You'll probably get all the proof you want, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think it's time for the North American church to shut up and just start being the people of God. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. it's time to speak, that mm -hmm. will become evident. Mm -hmm. But I think we would do much better for the next however much time mm -hmm. to just shut up, mm -hmm. get on our knees, listen, mm -hmm. and go out and be through mm -hmm. action, the love for neighbor that we are called to. Mm -hmm. I think I was about to call them the, the lost. Uh, yeah, they are. Um, but the broken trust that. They don't trust our words. They trust our being. And if we can be silent and, 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 and do the work of the kingdom, I think, uh, matter of fact, most other people that whether it was drug dealers or drug addicts that I worked with they they've usually said I get the compassion I don't get what what y'all saying and I don't get what y'all do on Sunday morning but I'm here for what you're trying to do for my people or my friends you know Matt what do you see from your perspective living in a culture not dominated by Spotify and Netflix and always trying to Listen to something. What? What? How's silence affect well, that? I, I hate to mm -hmm. to burst your bubble, but <laughs> yeah. Rwanda runs on Twitter or yes. X as they call it now. Yes. And it's it's there as well. So some of the issues are the same. Now we still have some people living on the hills with no electricity, and I'm sure 
they'd be scratching their heads silence they get that all the time mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. the same there's a global urban culture that is growing so mm -hmm. all all that they said applies in my life and in my Rwandan friends mm -hmm. I was in Zambia in 2011 and I got there and I was like, y'all got better phones than I got. <laughs> you know, and, and, and on it as much or more than, than I was in 2011. And it's only gotten, it's, it's, it's grown. 2202, we saw people walking out of mud huts with cell phones mm. before we ever had them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. O2. O2? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, that never turn on. Part of this conversation has been about the ability to listen to God. And we've been talking for hours now and listen. I, I, I'm curious, do you hear God talking to you as part of this conversation mm. today? What are you hearing? Are you hearing anything? I'll just say, I, I heard that it's like, go, you know, we expect, you know, people to be brought in, but really we're, we're to go out. Um, and so that really spoke to me. How is this guy talking to us through this ideal of discipleship and mission? I'm good with silence. We just talked about that. So, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think um, from a um, personal and psychological level, many of us are introverts, and many of you know I'm always, almost always, going to speak up in a class. But I really am an introvert, <laughs> um, and you know, through all of this, it makes so much sense. It's, you know, it, it's just so simple, and um, yet the the demon is punching my fear buttons. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, more than that, I don't know what to say. Other than you know, I always got more. Always. Uh, <laughs> I heard several phrases today that I think bear more attention. One of them was from of the from the film and from different management and leadership classes over <laughs> decades ago. Uh, I, I learned a lot about circle of influence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know we all have that. And that doesn't mean I influence this circle. It doesn't mean that exclusively. This circle also influences uh -huh, me. Uh -huh. And um, you know that's just a, a um, it's just a, a phrase, but it's something that I think if we look at individually and we look at our circles, there are people that would welcome this approach and and for someone like myself that will speak up in a crowd but that whole one-to-one -one thing is fearful to me uh, when you look at that circle of influence you can identify people that would maybe be hungry for those conversations mm -hmm. um, 
And there are others. I got about six, eight, twelve pages of notes. <laughs> over all of those. Well, I, I, I want to pick up on one of the points you made because I think it's a very important one. Because uh, you are not the only one who feels they're introverts and have and and are challenged by the concept of what we talk about discipleship. Uh, can you guys address it a little bit? I would love to. Please I, I am a raging introvert. Like I was telling them, after I preach tomorrow, I'm going to be in a dark room by myself for a very long time. Um, I've enjoyed my time here. You all are beautiful. You all made me feel like I'm at home. And um, I, I, I've enjoyed myself, but I know like my, my people beater is, is getting close. And that's mostly because I'm sitting next to him. No, man, no. You, 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 you my, my safety blanket, dude. You got my back. Um, and those discipleship engagements that I have, it is what, as an introvert, what I can offer the kingdom. I can, I can do people like on a Sunday morning. Um, and, and be fully present for them on a Sunday morning in that group. I can't do fellowship gatherings. We had a, a picnic Wednesday. I, uh, I, can't, I can't, and, and I want to, I just know I can't do that. My body just, I can't. But when somebody says, hey, Eric, can I, can I come to your office? Can I talk to you on the phone? Can we do a Zoom? I'm like, yeah. It's just gonna be one me and one person going deep as opposed to a bunch of people going wide. It's, it's, it's life to me. And, and people um, are, are really gracious about uh, my preaching ministry. And they were like, man, we just, we just got a great preacher. I'm like, yeah, I'm a great discipler. I'm a much better coach. I'm a much, much better spiritual director because those are the things that give me life. As an introvert, I can do one-on-one -on -one way better than I can do that. I want to get everybody out here on time, so I would ask our panel if they would, what closing thoughts do you have for the folks at home with us we try to pursue a path of discipleship? Man, I'll start with you. You, you, you know us pretty well. Um, I, this kind of builds on what we were just talking about, but I've, I've just been curious and interviewed a lot of um, very effective missionaries and disciple makers, African disciple makers, about their ministry. And there's something that's emerged that's been almost constant across the board. They all talk of around five relationships mm -hmm. that if they look at everything that happened in their ministry, it came down to about five relationships. Um, Jesus was super capable and he he tried to manage 12, lost one. I think uh, I'm sad for Judas, but it's encouraging that even the greatest teacher ever did. <laughs> right. uh, get everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I hope that could be encouraging. Sometimes when we, when I come back and talk about the scale of what's happening in Rwanda, you know, 10,000 baptisms and 1500s, sounds exciting. What that actually is, is a whole bunch of people making just a few intentional relationships and investing in those and helping those people to do the same thing. And then that results in something that is incredible. And hopefully that's a little bit more doable, you know, who are the, who's the handful of people that you can pour into? 
And the other side of that is who's pouring into you? Mm-hmm. Is that that generational cycle that leads to us still knowing who Jesus is today happens when you're not only giving to others, but you're receiving from somebody. So if we're in alignment as a mm-hmm. disciple, we're not only thinking, who can I disciple? But we're thinking, mm-hmm. who is discipling me? Mm-hmm. So just a handful of relationships, I think, is the way forward. It doesn't have to be a, the worst thing would be to do the Homewood Discipleship Program. Yeah. And let's yeah. make everybody do all of this at once. No, yeah. just something small. Mm-hmm. And other people will see it and start to get curious, and it'll, it'll draw them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd like for Todd to have a last word, and, and you, you even have a word. Comment or question? Yeah, hmm. just on that um, question of who's discipling you, that's a, an especially pertinent one for me. And I'd say also for the curious, we're both close to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how do you, how, what is it that I can, that you can do to make sure that you are in that, like, the chain in that mm-hmm. chain of relationships and not just, starting from scratch, I guess. Well, I, I know one thing that you did, Asher, because Scott <laughs> Moody told me, you mm. came up to him and said, mm-hmm. I want you to disciple me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just coming along someone and saying, hey, I'd, I'd love to hang out with you and, and share some things I've been learning. Yeah. And that, that is a sacred invitation that you are giving them. And I think most of the time people are very, very appreciative of somebody saying, I, it in, but works both ways. I see something in you that I think that you can disciple me. It's an honor. And I think that it's powerful in the other way where you get a chance to say something some, to somebody. I see something in you where I would love to, to, to walk alongside of you and disciple you into what I see Christ can be in you. It's just, it's, it's a sacred invitation. The last thing that I will say, and it's something that I've shared uh, with you all already, which is the ways and teachings of Jesus, the ways and teachings of Jesus, the ways and teachings of Jesus. Um, My fear is we talk so much about Jesus that we've lost track of who Jesus is. And what that ends up doing is we use Paul or we use the Old Testament to to inform us about who Jesus is as opposed to the other way around, where Jesus is the cornerstone and everything splays out and and measures in rightness with the ways and teachings of of Jesus and to um, uh, immerse yourself in those and to walk alongside of other people um, in those ways and teachings, you, I, I can't express to you how incredible life is living from that, that space. It's overwhelming. I guess the last thing I would say to you guys is you are God's beloved daughter. Mm-hmm. You are God's beloved son. He loves you deeply. He likes mm. who you are. He made you. Whether you like silence or don't like silence, <laughs> whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether any of this stuff makes sense to you or it doesn't, whatever, You are his beloved son and daughter, and you get to do your best to live out of that reality. 
And when you look at how you're living out that reality, and you're kind of saying, how am I doing, God? Maybe you're using a, a matrix or something. Then you turn back to the Lord and you say, Lord, help me live it out better. Mm -hmm. um, help me help me represent you in this world as best I can. And it might be in a discipleship group or it might, there's lots of ways of doing this. But remember, you are the beloved. You're good. Now go live mm -hmm. with that security. Amen. Well, uh, we've had an all-star cast literally here helping us walk through this and I want to thank Matt and Eric and Todd for their time and for being here today so thank you guys it's four o'clock so we will be dismissed we ask Steve Kassman if he would say a prayer for us in closing yeah, I just want to say something real quick I, on behalf of the shepherds I'm grateful for the pastoral staff that we have for putting on something like this. I'm grateful for all of you all. Um, you know, as kingdom devoted disciples, making disciples of nations and generations, um, I'm not sure that it was intentional, but as we heard in the Great Commission, uh, it was about nations. And then as Matt showed us, it was about generations. Those two terms just permeated our time together. Um, the intentionality now is up to us as individuals and us as collectively as a body. That line of demarcation is a little blurry, I'm not sure. So I pray that God will help us to, to discern the intentionality of our lives and our lives as a body of Christ here. But I know that today has been good and as Chance and I talked, it's it's been a long time since we've been able to get together in a workshop like this as a, as a church, and I'm grateful for today. So uh, thank you guys again, and let's pray. Um, Father, I simply ask you to help us to hear well uh, what you'd have to say to us. Uh, help us, Father, to um, then be willing uh, to move uh, in your love and uh, in, your, uh, in your desire and in, in living in your will, Father. So now, Father, as we leave this place, I pray that, um, that you cover us with your um, a grace of safety as we travel um, to our homes. And um, Father, bless us as, as we seek to make you known to a world uh, desperately in need of, of the loving uh, knowledge of your son, Jesus. I pray these things in uh, his beautiful name. Amen.